we're fascinated by the mindset of entrepreneurs that are focused on changing the world. Um, in fact, within healthcare, we call it the health transformer mindset. And we've codified it, we can go back to data, we really believe there's a way to measure the mindset of the entrepreneur. When you think about all the different amazing entrepreneurs that you've interviewed, interviewed over your career, which entrepreneurs stick out as just looking like and, and seeming like they think differently? Um, Gates and Jobs, for the most part. I mean, Andy Grove too, but um, you know, if you wanna, they both fundamentally saw things. I mean, uh, Gates and, uh, uh, Gates and, and Paul Allen, of course, I mean, saw the, the, the 40, 4040, 4404, the, the, the first mm -hmm. Intel microprocessor, and they understood the implications of what it was, and that's when they, they, you know, they saw when these things were incredibly clunky. These are hobbyists, um, uh, you know, toys. At best, <clears throat> the Altair, the original one. Um, and I, you know that they—that was the first one they worked on out in uh, out in Arizona. But it was it, Albuquerque, New Mexico, actually. But um, you know they saw what the potential was, and you know, and were unconstrained by. I mean, you know, Gates drops out of Harvard. His parents are both professionals. I mean, it was this, you know this is a different era. It was you know this wasn't the late nineties. And this was an unusual thing to do. And Jobs, on the other hand, I mean, as well as, I mean, I did a long magazine piece on him and his sister, actually, um, and so what he's done. But his, he always said it was his, his talent was, you know, seeing vectors of technology and culture and where they aligned to form markets. That was his ultimate talent. And he, you know, and then, again, um, you know, they were persistent and never stopped. I mean, it's, it's easy to, you know, you look back on it, well, of course it's gonna work out that way. Never. I mean, at the individual, I mean, Gates was, was fired from Altair and kind of put over on the side and stuff. I mean, he was, you know, I remember talking to his, uh, his original employer, he said, I didn't think it's more pain in the ass, right? And so, so when you look at how many other people probably around that same time might have seen similar things. Right. Those, let's dig in a little bit to the mindset. You talked about persistence. Um, we call it the long-term mindset and staying confidently ambitious towards your goal and what you're trying to achieve. Why do you think they and what do you think it was about them that made it so obvious that you know, now looking back they, they would succeed? They were convinced they were right. Um, and they, they were convinced they were right, not just because of a personal standpoint, but because they, again, saw some trajectory in the technology in those cases that, um, and you know, and particularly in Jobs' case, an ambient culture sure. that was kind of coming around it. Let's stick uh, on the convinced they were right. That mindset around knowing you're right, they've sold themselves, right. they're convinced. Yeah. Who else do you see with that characteristic today? And what entrepreneurs come to mind when you think about just, they just know they're right? Uh, Musk. I mean, he's the obvious, you know, it's just um, on that, you know, because you have to have proof points. In other words, if, if somebody is just starting out, right, um, who on the outside is going to be able to say, I think, you know, they're right on, on a big change the world kind of thing. So, um, and you, you haven't tested the persistence yet, right? So, um, it's hard to say, but I mean, so I mean, Musk is, you know, he's, he's, you know, 
he's well established now, right? Um, and he's through the times recently, and he was, uh, you know, before he met with Trump, right? Yep. So he was, you know, um, and so there's a little bit on, you know, what he's going to, you know, what he's going to try to say to Trump, but, but generally kind of about his business. And he's just, you know, he's very analytic. He's, you know, he's got, and has, you know, he's he made it through that threshold where it almost was going to fail, right? Um, from a financial standpoint, and seems to have come out the other side. When you look at all these entrepreneurs, there's some common kind of obstacles that get thrown their way that they overcome. You just mentioned Elon Musk, but you talked about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Um, Non-obvious brand name, non-brand name entrepreneurs that may be up and coming, young, younger or earlier in their career entrepreneurs come to mind that have similar traits that are not obvious that everyone's already read about or reading about? Um, you know, there isn't the proof point yet on these, and I, you know, I kind of I followed the technologies as much as you know, as much as the kind of the startups themselves, right? I've seen some interesting ones in kind of niches, and part partly in healthcare, right? I mean, um, uh, so there's a, um, a Canadian firm, Deep Genomics, that, where the, the guy is a, a scientist who kind of came up with it. Brent, Brendan Fry has got some of those characteristics. I mean. Um, but let's see how far it goes. And I'm not a very good judge, right, of, of how the technology is going to evolve and, you know, whether it becomes an ingredient in something else or becomes, you know, one of these, you know, an iconic company. Sure. Um, but how much of it is the iconic, the company versus the entrepreneur? So these entrepreneurs, obviously, and their companies, it's hard sometimes to see the line between them. Um, but clearly, it wasn't just about Steve Jobs. It was about the Apple as a vehicle, or Pixar, or other companies that he's been at the helm of, or in the case of Gates, obviously Microsoft. Um, digging into the kinds of people that these entrepreneurs wrap around them to make sure that they're not just, although they're loud voices, they're not alone. Supportive relationships is the second mindset that we focus and, on. I just and, love and, to. And it's, I think if you look, I mean, you kind of, you know, it's one of these, once it's a coincidence, twice it's a trend, you see the pattern after the fact, right? But I think most of these people have, have, have teamed up with, you know, in, in economics you call them compliments, complementary personalities that, um, and that have different, you know, complementary skill sets. Um, and so as difficult as they are individually sometimes, um, they are surround themselves with people who, um, you know, it isn't like a third world autocrat, even though sometimes they behave that way, particularly if they're very young. Right. I mean, jobs, or, or, or they tell the story that way. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you know, jobs, because I dealt with them after, you know, kind of later, and it was, I was overseas when they started the firm, and so I dealt with them in the, in the 90s, right? So, you know, and he said, look, you know, I was 25 years old. I mean, you know, I did some stupid things, right? You know, that I wouldn't do now, necessarily. And, and in fact, the good people all stayed with him, to be fair. Um, but I, we, we call that unique ability teamwork. Yeah, yeah, and it's also, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like any long-term relationship. I mean, you know, there's a little line about, you know, if, if real friends are the people you can treat, treat like shit and get away with it. Well, not all the time, but you know, in other words, there's some buffer back and forth on this kind of stuff, because I think these are, they are very, often they have been very different personalities, whether, and it's, you know, some of these, again, iconic, I mean, whether it's Paul Allen and, and, uh, um, and Bill Gates, Steve Wozniak, and uh, Steve Jobs. Um, Bob Noyce, uh, Gordon Moore, and uh, Andrew Grove were very different kinds of people at Intel, right, for example. And I think that those are, you know, 
and uh, those guys are also, the, the climate was different. I mean, um, I remember Andy Grove once told me, this is, you know, years ago, he said, you know, when, look, when we started Intel, the term exit strategy didn't exist. Nor was venture capital easy to raise. Yeah, and, and, and some of these, and you made, yeah, you made, I mean, the reason why Gates is as wealthy as he is is because it was a software company that made money all along the way, right? And didn't go public for 11 years. So it was, you know, they weren't into the, they weren't into hawk into the investors, right? And, um, you know, they were, they steered their own ship pretty much. So I mean, so a lot of it is, there's so much more churn in these, um, in modern startups and um, churn in terms of iterating through their product or churn in terms yeah. of the direction of the company? The cost of experimentation has gone way down for yeah. all the technological reasons we know about cloud and so forth and so on. And so that, and then the fast experimentation can happen. So, and so you can kind of move and fine tune in ways that I think you couldn't before, but also you can, you can kind of focus on smaller niches. And, you know, then the question is, you know, do you have you know, you find an early market where you can kind of make a living to keep going, mm -hmm. right? And then you, then you, you know, you, do you have a more generalized proposition that then can move from there? I mean, the classic example was, you know, I mean, it, it, in this case, I mean, Pixar. I mean, that was, you know, that was originally, this is a spin-off from the George Lucas yeah. thing, and they, look, great they, story. they were selling stuff to the, to the CIA, right? And yeah. buying stuff, and poor Lasseter was sitting over on the side making this kind of demonstration model, Luxor, the, the, you know, the bouncing lamp you still see, right? <laughs> and he was sleeping under his bed, right? Yeah, under, his, under the desk and stuff to kind of make it going. And then, it, then they flipped, and it turned out that this thing was, you know, the demonstration became the, you know, became the business. So I, it, but what they had was this, and again, getting back to job, they had a kind of core underlying technology that, you know, lended itself to, you know, you know, 3D modeling and then, you know, kind of computer animation in a way that, and both, and Lasseter saw that even, you know, when he was at uh, California Institute of Technology, I mean, CalArts, right? He was, you know, people thought it was crazy because the stuff looked really primitive, right? How, how often do you think that technology is a manifestation of the entrepreneur's intellectual property or intellectual capital? In other words, where these become almost an extension of what the entrepreneurs believe needs to come to market or should come to market. You talk about I mean, the how jobs. Much, how much they shape it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in all of this, and this is, you know, again, it's not like pharma where, you know, the molecule is the invention, right? These are... What I focus on I mean is the IT kind of, you yeah. know, and and particularly software-related things more so than the microchip, mm -hmm. right? At Intel, um, you know, you're building on these sort of sedimentary layers of things that you kind of then shape. So it isn't, I mean, it, you know, um, a lot of work had become, you know, had gone before you know, decades worth of work in both of these cases, right? I mean, you know, I mean, computing. I mean, it's all ones and zeros to the. Uh, uh, to the computer. I mean, you start out with a, a figuring the trajectory of artillery shells, that was the ENIAC, and you end up with Toy Story, right? And beyond, right? And it's all... Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I, absolutely. In let's take both those cases. Absolutely. I mean, um, taste is hugely important to jobs, right? And kind of what it looked like and all, all these things are sort of well-known, as, as it did with, the, with the, you know, the Pixar. So I think the Pixar movies, right? They were kind of, I mean... 
you know, hardly never had a hit, which is, you know, unheard of, uh, as well as, you know, taking the time to do it right. Um, so I, yes, I and mean, particularly in these kinds of cases, in, in you know, uh, information technology, it is, you know, software is this sort of malleable thing, right? And so it becomes, you know, it was business stuff for Gates, it was something else for Jobs, right? Um, the, um you know, when we go through each of our mindsets, long-term mindset, supportive relationships, um, quarterly recalibration is one of the characteristics and, and mindsets we see as entrepreneurs stepping back every 90 days or so and just recalibrating what's working, what's not working, how do they want to do things differently the next quarter. As you touch on these entrepreneurs, all of them seem like they lived up in this world and universe of macro views of the game-changing landscape, yet, dove deep into the details during obvious it, it, times and, there. You know, any of these cases. I mean, they were, now the term pivot didn't exist when they were back. They were back and forth all over the place, including, you know, Gates basically selling a product to IBM that he didn't have, right? Um, and kind of making it up. Yeah. Entrepreneurship. I, yeah. No, one. Oh, abs yeah, abso <laughs> absolutely. And, and um, you know, Larry Ellison at uh, Oracle was sort of the same way, right, in, in terms of the original database. But it, you, I think it, it's just, it's almost like being a good CEO at a large corporation. I mean, I mean, yeah, you gotta do this, you gotta, you gotta do both things. I mean, everybody, in your daily life, you're kind of slugging it out and the details. But, you know, sort of in the back, there's themes. And you kind of, you know, you're, you're exper you know, you've decided what your petri dish is, and then you're doing the experiments in there. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, you know, totally day to day when you get down. It's, you know, it's like this whole thing about you know, you don't want to see how the software is made, right? I mean, <laughs> and it's, I think that's true of all these things. And it becomes, then it becomes, you know, a sort of a straight line narrative after the, only after the fact. And nobody, you know, particularly if you do. I was talking to uh, a venture capitalist yesterday who's uh, funded a lot, it, it funds seed stage stuff uh, in, in healthcare. A lot of them, actually. Mostly machine learning and AI, but mainly in healthcare. Um, and as she said, you know, Unless you're willing to take hits left, right, and center, and people doubt you all along the way, you aren't, you know, you aren't doing big enough things. Yeah, that's that long-term mindset, being all in for as long as it takes to, to do whatever it takes to succeed, um, because it's your mission. And in healthcare, in health, obviously, um, lots of entrepreneurs get involved because of a personal story, something that uh, happened to them, something they noticed, something that affected or impacted their family. You've covered entrepreneurs even recently that um, you know opened up their eyes to challenges or, 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 or needs in areas because of family members, and the companies exist because of a problem they were trying to solve for themselves. Can you talk a little bit about how often today entrepreneurs are working on solutions or 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 solving problems that they themselves either felt directly or somebody close to them felt. Yoki Matsuoka, who's now at Apple Health, um, um, she had, and this is somebody who was, uh, started out as uh, on the track to be a professional tennis player in, in Japan, right? And then her injuries then worked, she worked on prosthetic devices and MacArthur Award winner and uh, Google X and stuff. But she had, she got very ill. Uh, herself, and it was, it was sort of went through a diagnosis kind of thing, and and you know it wasn't clear, and you know, you know, young woman, right? She's early forties, 
And so that's, that steered her toward, now she's in charge of, again, inside Apple, we'll never hear from her again, at least, <laughs> but I mean, you know, um, but that steered her toward health. I mean, and, and also you have, I mean, some of these people have the great luxury of, um, and not just, you know, entrepreneurs like, you know, that made it big like Zuckerberg or somebody, but, you know, so many people have kind of, if you have a skill set that you've, you know, you're, You've, you're, you're essentially in a, you're, you're free to choose to do whatever you want, um, and those people are I think increasingly choosing healthcare, um, just because it's, it's you know as they say it's it's the best problem. Um, what characteristics have you picked up yourself as you've met people and you've kind of admired you know either e either the deep dive or even watching from afar? What have you yeah. picked up and said you know I really that's something I'm gonna. Yeah, no, I, well, it's the f funny thing is, you know, look, I, it's an entrepreneurial demonstration craft, right? Mm -hmm. Make, and it, each, um, you know, what if they staying positive? We call, that, we call that batteries included. Yeah, no, Energy, I just, yeah. it just, and I, you know, it's, look, I, I work in a field that is really psychologically clean in the sense that um, if you're working on a story you really like, that's great. And you're productive. I mean, this is you know all the stuff about happiness. It's your activities and your habits, right? And you know, um, you want to see, see it's a sense of production of productivity, right? And accomplishment. And you know, I've very few things where there's hand craftsmanship in the same. You know, your name goes on it like the old masterpiece, right? Um, not that they are, but um, and if you're, st I'm sorry, you don't like. They last a couple of weeks at most, right? And then you move on to the next one. So that's it's an extraordinary psychological luxury compared to some. You know, somebody in some company that's working on a project for two years that then is killed—that just doesn't happen, yeah. right? You know, so um, I, I think um, you know, persistence and, and I mean, look, the, the good thing about journalism is that it's curiosity lessons. I mean, I've traveled the world, I've seen people, you know, right? As, I mean, and I think this kind of um, you know persistent curiosity is another thing that people who are successful kind of have, and the ability for range. I mean, they, um, you know, they're interested in a broad variety of things. I mean, this is, you know, getting back to jobs, I mean, this is what his, you know, his whole mantra was, if you talk to him, is that, you know, taste. And um, it comes from exposing yourself to the best that your culture has to offer, and whether that's, you know, that's art or software design. And, you know, those things and your life experience will shape your view of the world. And so. Have a broad experience. I mean, I think you do, and, I, you, and you see people who were, you know, extremely focused and narrow for a while, and have broadened out dramatically as they got older. And I think you know a lot of these you know, the super successful people are, you know, are kind of like that. How self-aware do you think these entrepreneurs were and became? You know, you think about their openness to knowing what they know, what they don't know, their coachability, if you will. Um, it's a very good question, and, and it's you know it sort of suggests you know some psychological knowledge of I, which I you know I wouldn't pretend to. Um, even if it's against their natural instinct, that the sort of self there's an openness and self-preservation that makes them you know not psychotic, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I mean you know yeah, sort of neurotic in their focus, right? But but open enough with a tinge to, of ADD. Yeah, no, I mean, look, and, and read about any of these people, yeah. right? Um, or, or many of them. I, and, I'm, and to be honest, also, I am not convinced 
you've got to be a difficult person to, you know, to be highly successful. I, I just, you know, it isn't, um, I, those are, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, the classic old English play where, you know, wisdom was always at the bottom of a drink bottle, right? I mean, I, you know, honestly, you know, it was, it, it, that's too glib. Yeah. I, I, so, uh, but I think, I think they all, they all have that capacity f to be at some point coachable. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't have made it. I mean, a part of the resilience, right, is to adjust, is to self-correct you know, correct and stuff. And if you've ever dealt with somebody who's actually mentally ill and stuff, I mean, kind of what they are, they're closed loop. You know, they don't, they don't have that capacity to kind of, kind of see beyond themselves and see. And, and these, you know, recognizing markets <laughs> is, you know, is a way of seeing the world. And if you talk to even, you know, the best, I just did some, I talked to Sebastian Thrun, who was one of the guys mm -hmm. who started the, and just talked to him, because he's at Audacity now, which is, you know, the online MOOC, and said, so, he talked to, it was just about coding, right? And if anybody gets some experience, he said, you know, it's ultimately a human empathetic ability. You have to, you know, put yourself in the place of the machine. Right? And do it as it does. And that's, it's that form of communication. So even there, which we think of as the most nerdy, right? Yeah. And um, has, you know, real success. And the best people, I wrote an earlier book about the history of software programming. So it went from the Fortran to the James Gosling at Java and all these, Java and all these people, right? I mean, the best ones, Ken Thompson, Dennis Ritchie at, at you know, Unix and C and stuff. I mean, they have that ability to go deep and go back. And communicate, and so I, you know, um, I think that yeah, I think they are coachable, and and in, in some ways, but the proof is in the pudding. You find sure. out after the fact. Yeah. So we've we talked a lot about entrepreneurship and the characteristics and the mindsets of entrepreneurs. I want to apply that now to the corporate world and think about the big partners outside of healthcare. Entrepreneurs typically aren't that concerned with the big bureaucratic organizations or the government. In healthcare, whether it's you know uh, payers, providers, pharmaceutical companies, entrepreneurs need to collaborate because the last mile into the patient and to ultimately where the money flows is you know within these big organizations that oftentimes don't have the right mindset or don't have the entrepreneurial mindset. When you look at the organizations you cover, um, what do you believe and do you see entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial-minded leadership top-down making their entire organization think more like entrepreneurs than big bureaucratic, stodgy organizations? Um, yeah, compared with 10 years ago, because you know, some of these companies I've covered you know, for a long time. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the question is how much of this is lip service and how much of it is reality, right? Yeah. And also how much um, the top person, you know, may actually, you know, genuinely believes that, but how much you can make it sort of permeate the uh, the institution. I mean, I, I, uh, because they almost uh, fell after the financial crisis, I inherited Covery GE, which is a really interesting technology yeah. company, actually. Uh, you know, as high tech as you get, right? It's and one of our big partners. Yeah, no, and, yeah, but I and I've traveled around, yeah. you know, kind of in a South, you know, uh, big turbine, you know, trying to make it a digital company, right? So how does that, you know, see that on the ground, right? And I do think that that's one. There's there's an example where there's it's it has permeated down to the kind of engineer level, right? And, and they've changed some of their practices, but it's a long term kind of endeavor. And I'm, you know, I, you got to get inside those companies to sort of know, you know, to know that. I I just think the whole atmosphere about you know um, 
entrepreneurial risk taking um, is, you know, it's such a meme, it's become such a part of the zeitgeist that, I mean, everybody, you know, kind of feels that. And it, it, coming out of colleges, I mean, you know, for some of these things, it's almost, you know, you don't even want a PhD, right? Or you know, don't want to go to graduate, any of that kind of stuff. I mean, that shows you didn't have the right stuff to kind of go out there and just do it, you know, right away, right? Um, or, or if you, you know, in some fields, if you stayed in, right, at all. But I just think that, that you know, things have changed so much that, I mean, it's, um, the atmosphere has changed dramatically, but I, you know, I don't really, you've got to find out individually, case by case, because there's still a huge amount of, I mean, a large organization is going to have bureaucratic inertia, and the effort is to sort of find, fight it all the time. One of the big efforts we have at Startup Health is around uh, the same way we measure the mindset of the entrepreneur. We measure the mindset of these partners and how entrepreneur-friendly they are, and for the entrepreneurs to know within an organization where the right door is to go to and the 25 wrong doors to go into. Yeah. Um, which companies do you admire for their entrepreneurial engagement that really are doing things with startups and entrepreneurs that are and should be models for others to follow? I, look, GE is the one I know the best. Um, and it's not, you know, look, it's the nation's largest manufacturing company. So it's not as if, you know, it's a tech company, right? Um, and it, they've, they've made some mistakes in terms of some of the investments they've made in, like Quirky, right? Was, um, but that's, that's, you know, that's the cost of ex experimentation, right? This is a, a different kind of a crowdsourced manufacturing model, right? Um, I, I mean, that, that's a good one. Um, you know, it, it, what, what you also, I, I think there are markers. I mean, one of the things you've seen is, you know, companies that have you know, it used to be rare that you'd have corporate venture capital arms. Almost all the tech companies kind of do some of that now, right? That's their way of, you know, beyond their research organizations, that's their headlights into the future. I think that's an indication that they are, you know, that they're more likely to do so. Um, you know, I, I've seen IBM, you know, do, do a fair bit of this kind of stuff. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, Microsoft has changed dramatically from the company it once was. Largely, um, um, I'm more familiar with the technology, moving toward cloud and so forth. But their engage, their you know, their partnership engagement is is very different than it once was. Um, you know, because it's not just all customers; it want to bring bring people in. So I think I think uh, uh, I think SAP is doing some of that. I think mm -hmm. I think uh, Salesforce is naming another, all our partners. So, you know, <laughs> it's just um, and it's the other side of this. I think is you know. Isn't just necessarily corporations. I mean, in the healthcare area, it's you know a huge innovation arm with 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 Mayo, right? Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of spin-off stuff. Um, Kaiser Permanente, I'm less familiar with recently, but have done you know done some of these things. The, these, you know, they're not as, they're nominally you know a lot of these are not nominally nonprofit, right? But they are they are ones that that realize that they have to bring in innovation from elsewhere. I, I, I just um, I do, th you know, and it's all the usual stuff. I mean, proof of concept. This, you know, the, the cycle is just going to be is going to be slower. But I think the door is open in more and more of these places. And, and 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 in healthcare, I think particularly in the policy vacuum, <laughs> you know, if there is one, right? Yeah. Or or uncertainty. I think more of these places just are going to do it themselves. I, I and and we're trying to do it themselves. Yeah. And and corporate buyers of healthcare. 
in aggregation are going to you know are going to be innovators as well. So I think they're more you know open than they once were. So one of the things we've noticed, and you know, we we have uh, close to 200 companies in 18 countries in startup health, and one of the things we notice is there's companies that are just digital health companies. They're just trying to innovate and move the dial and create a business for today. Um, and then there's these health moonshot companies that are really trying to change the world. Human Longevity Inc., one of our other companies uh, run by Craig Venter, um, now chaired by Craig Venter, um, obviously trying to change um, and impact longevity and how long we can live uh, healthy years. Um, much further than we can today. When you look at the landscape around and you meet entrepreneurs and, and, and see startups and see organizations working around health and healthcare and well-being, um, are you noticing that there are now some organizations and companies that, and entrepreneurs in particular that are really working on big health moonshots, not just building yet another company? Yeah, I do. I mean, but you know, Steve, you know more about this than I do. This is your world. So I mean, I, you know, you're there to identify and find them. So, so, yeah, and I do think there's a there's a talent. I mean, there's a talent movement from the tech world again, as we kind of said before. I mean, the, the, the you know, moving into these mainstream areas, like uh, away from you know, uh, ad targeting and personalized marketing and stuff. The sort of kind of you know. Um, Sales and retailing side of things in, into things like healthcare because I think it, it's a natural maturing of of the technology and the people in the fields. So, so I want to uh, wrap up with some conversation around data. Actually, sure. Um, we have a massive amount of data about what is working and not working in entrepreneurship around health and well-being around the world. We're seeing. Um, everything from business models to partnerships to technologies um, and mindsets that are working and doing really well and those that are not. Um, and across our whole entire peer network of these almost 200 companies, every day we're looking at just so almost so much data that you have to kind of parse back and try to figure out uh, the best way of accessing and delivering the what's working, what's not working. How do you think entrepreneurs should harness the power of being a part of a global army of entrepreneurs transforming healthcare with access to and sharing everything from wisdom, relationships, and knowledge that doesn't exist anywhere else. I, well, I think they're lucky to have the asset. And it's, you know, you start with a kind of, you know, what does the data tell you, right? I mean, you, you, you ask that question, right? And you look at things, um, you know, the resource that is there. And it sounds like, I mean, again, you know far, far more about this than I do, but it sounds like you have, if you query this data, as they say, I mean, you can ask all sorts of questions about, you know, that address your specific, you know, in your 90-day cycles, what do you want to do next? What are your objectives next? Um, you know, there is a uh, constantly updated longitudinal study, if you will, right, um, of, uh, success and failure in your world, which sounds like it sounds you know it, it sounds like a you know an incredibly powerful asset um, that that's very different than you know talking to two other people and consulting and, and, and a you know a, a call who with your lead investor you know every three weeks yeah. or something. I mean it's a, just a it's a much broader pool to to draw from. Um, last couple questions. What do you read the most? And what do you spend time consuming the most? Oh. 
all sorts of. I mean, it's just you know, I I sh I would would I would be it would be nice to have more time for books to be honest, but I don't. Um, I, and I do on vacations and stuff. Um, but um, look, I read I I read the Economist, I read the uh, the Times, I read the Journal, I read the, uh, the Financial Times. We subscribe to them all for old times' sake, for overseas. So and then. Um, you know, I follow I follow Twitter for for me. I mean, I I look at it as, as you know the people I follow and stuff as as you know um, you know recommended reading, and then that kind of just takes you everywhere, right? To different kinds. Of, so and it's, it's great stuff all over. I mean, it's you know not just the Atlantic and stuff, but Medium, you know, Wired. I mean, I just you know um, and I follow basic research. I mean, National Bureau of Economic Research working papers and SSRN working papers because it you know. In those areas, you can find new research, right? In that, that, whether it's behavioral economics or whatever. And so that and, you know, the scientific stuff, I, you know, I mind as well. It, you know, it's just, there's the part where it's free range. I mean, it kind of, by curiosity and so forth. So I, you know, I try to read as broadly as I can. <laughs>